what on earth are you here for? A little while ago, I was actually driving away from my house and I noticed some men on the side of the road and uh, they had on kind of overalls, they were doing manual labor and the one of them was digging a hole and then alongside of him would come a man after him um, dressed the same and he would fill in the hole and then they would move like maybe five meters along and the first man would dig the hole and you know it would take him a long time, it would be quite a lot of work and then he would stand back and the next man would come and fill it in again and so they would move down the road and it, it got a little bit confusing for me. I thought you know that seems like a waste of time, it seems like they're spending a lot of energy just putting the pavement back exactly how it was. So I decided to stop and just ask them, you know, what actually are you, what, what are you up to? What is the purpose of this? You know, I just thought maybe they were hiding copper wire or something. I just, you know, the, or protecting our telephone wires or something. But here, here they went. I stopped and I asked them, like, what, you know, what is going on? And the, the first one says to me, oh, you know, <laughs> we are actually a three-man team. And we are the tree planting, suburbs tree planting team. And our, my job is to dig the hole. The second man's job is to plant the tree. And the third man's job is to fill in the hole around the tree. But the second man didn't come to work today. So the two of us are out here <laughs> doing our job without our third man. Okay, now I have to tell you, this didn't really happen. Because I can see you're all believing me. This, uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh my word, I'm going to go down. Does this really happen? I, I hope this never happens in all of Joburg. But nonetheless, the point of this joke was, I obviously told it too well because you're also absolutely convinced. The point of this joke is that, you know, if, if you don't have everyone on board, it doesn't matter how hard you work, the job doesn't really get done. You know, if, if everyone isn't working together, if we aren't all in place and doing our part, then, you know, the rest, the other people who are there and in place, they can be working absolutely to their maximum. I mean, that poor guy, he could dig that hole perfectly. You know, he could even put an extra 10 centimeters on, put in fertilizer. He could, he could do his job perfectly. But if the next man isn't there to put the tree in, then all his work is in vain. And so there's something about the body of Christ that is so important, that everyone steps up to their part of the job. Everyone steps up into their function, that the gifts and the graces on you find expression. Because when your gifts find expression, then the person next to you's gifts become more fulfilling, more are expressed in a better way. Everyone together just becomes better. One of our pastors in our movement wrote a book called Better Together. And I just love that phrase. You know, there's, there's a way you can be outstanding on your own. But you, can all, you are always better together. We're always better when other people are there. We're always better when we're all moving together. We're always better when everyone's united and accomplishing the same task, going after the same thing. And each one is putting their part of the puzzle in place. It is very clear when we read the Bible that God made you to be in relationship. Yeah. I'm not going to preach a marriage message, but I'm reminded of how in the very first book of the Bible, after he'd made Adam, he brought Adam along and he <laughs> named the animals with Adam and Adam noticed that everyone had a partner. And then basically Adam said, well, where is mine? And there's this very um, profound phrase that is written there. It is not good 
for man to be alone. And of course, he was talking about his wife, and that's very good. It's not, it's not good for men to be alone because, oh my word, who would fix their clothes, you know? <laughs> who would tell them what matched those pants? Who would tell them? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's also true. Who would fix my car? Who would fix my car? Who would tell me how a car goes in the first place? But, you know, there's a, there's a broader truth to that that it's not good for any person to live isolated. That who you are is, comes alive most, comes alive most, comes alive most. <laughs> are, are we working on my slides back there? Comes alive most <laughs> when... <laughs> When we are connected to each other, when we're connected to each other, there's a phrase that runs around the psychology environment, which, which not necessarily a Christian phrase, but it's a very true phrase, and it goes like this, that addiction is actually a disease of loneliness. They have noticed that people who are stuck in addictive behavior that when they get into meaningful relationships, they tend to just spontaneously be able to leave the addiction yeah, behind. Yeah, I've also heard a similar phrase in those circles that goes like this, that eating disorders are a symptom of love hunger. That really, uh, when, when people look to substances, food or anything, uh, and kind of use them in a way that's inappropriate, Ultimately, what it's speaking about is it's speaking about there's something missing relationally in their hearts. There's something disconnected. There's something unwhole in that, in that place. And so every time I am about to overindulge on chocolate, I ask myself this question. <laughs> I ask myself this question. What's missing relationally in my life? Sometimes the answer is chocolate, but sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes the answer is, you know, you haven't spent enough time with your husband. You know, you need more of Jesus, whatever. But, but nonetheless, there's this profound truth about humanity. There's this profound truth about humanity that every single one of us needs connection. I had this really interesting experience recently. I was with an older member of our family, and I, I, many of you will know this. Some of you don't know this, but um, Andrew's sister actually passed away in this past week under very not great circumstances. It was very sudden, and it was heartbreaking for the family, heartbreaking for the family. And I was with one of the older members of the family, and um, he was telling me, he was just talking about his pain. And I could see, you know how when someone's in pain and you can just physically see it on their bodies. You know, they're in emotional pain, but it's almost like the pain is so great, it's manifesting in like physical brokenness. It's like they, uh, you know, the pain is just everywhere. And um, I just felt, that, you know, you, you feel so hopeless in times like that. But I felt the Spirit of God say, touch him, touch him. And I went over to him and I was... I put my hand around his shoulders and I was kind of, you know, appropriately <laughs> stroking his arm and, you know, just giving them that kind of affection and love. And, and I physically watched the change come over him. It's not like I could undo what happened, but I physically watched his body just become peaceful. I physically watched him be able to, instead of being in pain, just be able to cry and talk and, and process the information that he had just received. 
You know, for me, it was so interesting to notice that, that somehow that physical connection with another human being enabled him to take the next step, enabled him to walk further, enabled him to process and deal with stuff. And I feel this is such an important part of our Christianity. It's so easy to come to church, listen to a sermon, go home. It's so easy to even do less than that, to sit at home, listen to the podcast, switch it off and feel like I did church. But God had so much more in mind. When, when he built the body of Christ, he had so much more in mind. It's a very famous portion of scripture. It's almost one of my favorites. It's not quite my favorite, but it's quite up there. And it's in Matthew 16, and it goes like this. As Jesus is standing in the north of Israel, and behind him is a wall that has a, like a, a natural cliff that has engraved in it all the idols of the pagan world, that people went there to worship. And he's standing with this as a backdrop, drop, and in that same area, to just a little way off, there is a very famous cave, and out of this cave comes a natural spring, and the source of the spring, so in other words, it forms a pool first, but the source of this pool, it's like they, they had searched in the ancient times for the bottom of this pool, and they could never find it. It was so very deep that they could never get to the bottom. So they, they assumed that this was the place. This very place was the place that when you died, you were pulled down into the underworld, that it was like the, the opening to the underworld, to Hades. They called the place of the dead Hades in those days, and they they, they felt like this was the place where you were pulled down into Hades after you died. And so they called it the gates of Hades yeah. or the gates of hell. Yeah. For them, hell was a different concept to us. But nonetheless, that's what they were talking about. And this very famous interchange happened between Jesus and his disciples in that place. And he talks to them and he says, who, do, who does everyone say I am? They list a whole lot of prophets and stuff. And then he makes it more personal, turns to the, his disciples and say, but who do you say that I am? You know, sometimes when God asks me a question, I just keep quiet because I know, you know, <laughs> he doesn't need information. He knows everything. So there's it's not a trick necessarily, but this question is going to reveal my heart. The what I answer to this question is going to show me me. The purpose of this question is not for God to get information. The purpose of this question is so that I will see my own heart. So, understandably, most of the disciples just kept quiet. <laughs> Peter pipes up and he says, rightly so. It's like one of the great moments of Peter. You know, this is like Peter at his sterling best. This is like, like how we all want to be. He pipes up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus is just ah, overwhelmed. He says, oh, that's so great. And his words weren't those words. They were like, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. Yeah. He goes on and he has an interchange with Peter about his name, which is a little bit irrelevant to the story. So I'm just going to skip over that. But, but then he makes this very profound statement. He says, on this revelation of who I am, this, this statement that, she, that Peter has made, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, on this statement, uh, this rock, he calls it a rock, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Matthew 16, 
verse 18. This is pro- you know, and I want you to get the drama of Jesus. You know, Jesus was, was one of those captivating speaks. I mean, he's, he's standing literally at the place that the pagans would have called the gates of Hades. And so in essence, he's, he's saying much more than, you know, I will build a church and they, that will help people not go to hell. He's saying a lot more than that. He's saying in essence, I will build a church that will stand so strong and will move so effectively into society that it will destroy the pagan and and ungodly theology and ideology of the times. It will will invade society with revelation of truth that I am the Christ, the son of the living God. It will will infiltrate every place in such a way that, that it will destroy ungodly practices it will it will uproot ungodly ways of thinking it will it will bring down the very things that hold people captive it will advance against those gates it will push against those gates it will throw them open and it will snatch those people from the other side into the life of the living god this profound truth about the church This was the first time Jesus introduced the concept of church to his disciples. It wasn't a new word, but it was the first time Jesus used it. We often think of the Old Testament temple, you know, that beautiful temple that Solomon built. And and often we think of that as the church, as this building beautifully decorated where God's presence dwells. But that is not the concept of church that Jesus was talking about at all. The, the Old Testament temple did not become the church in the New Testament. What was the Old Testament temple became you in the New Testament. The Bible is very clear that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the dwelling place of God on earth. You, me, we are, we are now the representation of God's presence to the world. There was a time in Israelite history where they were taken from their promised land and they were taken into Babylon and they were, they were kept there in a pagan world and they were restricted from going to the temple where their worship to God happened. And so instead of having a temple, they had to make another plan. And what they did is they began to gather in small groups. Some of those small groups weren't so small. Sometimes there were thousands of people big. But they, they would gather on a weekly basis to hear the word, to implement the word, to pray together, to encourage one another, to keep one another faithful to the faith that was under siege in that environment. And those gatherings became known as the ecclesia, or the ch- what this word that Jesus used, the church. So when he, and, and in other places in the Bible, they became what it would become the synagogues, the Jewish synagogues. That is what became the church. That, that is what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about his church, this church that he would build. 
This, this was what he was modeling around. And this is the concept that he was drawing from their minds and their hearts to say, this is what I'm building on the earth today. That word, this is, I will build my church and the gates of Haiti will not overcome it. That church, that word for church is the word ecclesia. And the first and primary colloquial meaning of that, that word in that time was gathering. How many of you heard this phrase? You don't go to church, you are the church. Have you heard of that? And you know, a little while ago, I mean, we say this all the time. You don't go to church, you are the church. Church is not a building. Church is is the people inhabited by the presence of God. And I'm sitting at a connect group one day, and this new girl is in the connect group, and I say to her, you know, she's telling me all her problems, and she had a lot of problems, a lot of problems. You know, her relationships weren't working out, she hated her job, she was under financial strain, you know, just a lot of problems happening. And... So I, so I say to her, you know, I'd never seen her at church. And so I say, what, what church are you a part of? She looks at me and says, your church. You know, I'm a little bit flabbergasted because, because I've, never, I've never seen her there. So, so I say, well, you know, that's interesting. And then she carries on and says, well, you know what? I understand that the church is not a building, that we are the church. So mostly I just, you know, I just have church in my house by myself, you know, with, I watch a couple of podcasts, I pray, I read my Bible, and I do church there. I just want to let that sink in. Because, you know, maybe across a lot of our minds, that, is, that thought has come, that we could just do that. Some of you are smiling. It's because you're thinking, oh, those other people. But the meaning of this word church is gathering. What I love about that is that Jesus from the very start made it clear, church cannot happen by yourself. Church cannot happen by yourself. If you are by yourself, it is not the church. You are carrying God's presence, but you are not being the church. And part of your purpose, if we are examining our purpose, is to be the church of the living God in this age against which the gates of hell will not prevail. But if you are by yourself, you cannot be the church. You cannot fulfill your purpose. You cannot be all you were called to be. Your gifts and your graces will not find their full expression. You will not find the significance that you long for. That church is a gathering. Church is people interconnected. I have to be honest with you. Some of the greatest challenges in my life have come in relationship in church. Really. You know, some of my greatest joys have happened, but also some of my greatest challenges. I have met some of the most difficult people in the world in the church. And they've sat next to me, and they have claimed me as their friend, and they have come to ask advice from me. And when they go out into the world and be weird, they say, Pastor Carol told me this. You know, I've, I've had the biggest challenges of my life with people in church. <laughs> Every pastor in the front is going, yes and amen. 
unfailingly though, I have found this. If those people persevere in relationship in church, persevere in connect group, sharing their weirdness with the people around them, that those people around them in church who are hearing the word of the Lord regularly, who are holding one another accountable regularly, will start saying to the person, I don't know, doesn't sound right to me. No, no, you can't do that. No, that's not how the Bible works. No, that's not what it means. And you, you will find that those kind of people just, they just start changing. And those very difficult people become some of the greatest pillars in the body of Christ because they persevered. They persevered in relationship. They persevered through the difficult times. Let me tell you, those difficult people, they get knocked a lot. Do you know what I'm saying? Because they just, they just uncomfortable in relationships. You know, the, people are always telling them, no, do it differently. No, we're not going to do that. No, we can't do that. No, you can't say that in church. No, you can't do this. No, you can't do that. But somehow, if they will press through that, if they will hear and receive the sincere and godly friendships of the people around them, they will become the greatest in his kingdom. And I want to suggest to you that every one of us comes into the church like that. Every one of us comes into the church with problems. And it's, it's the relationships that knock the edges off, that, that get rid of the roughness, get, that get rid of the misunderstandings, that hone us, train us, make us different. But it takes, it takes conviction and it takes perseverance. Yeah. I'm pressing into this because I know it's right, because the church is the gathering. The Bible describes the church with three metaphors or three descriptions. It talks about it being a family, it talks about it being a building, and it talks about it being a body. For the sake of time, I'm not going to expound on all three of those. I want you to note something about all of those. All of those are a gathering of something. All of those are people together. All of those are, are, are stuff together. A family isn't a family if there's only one. A family has to have a, a husband and a wife and children and aunts and uncles and extended people. A, a family has to be a lot of people and all of us have families and we all know that it takes work to keep that family together. It takes work to keep the relationships right. It takes work to, to keep it healthy and whole. But we also know this, it's the most rewarding thing. A family operating well is so delightful. A building... Who ever heard of a building that's just one stone, one brick? You know, that's just not a building. I don't care how beautiful that brick is. It takes, it takes every brick together, and we are called living stones in that scripture that's ref referenced there. And a body. When I was newly saved, the senior pastor of the church that I was saved into 
made this illustration. It stuck with me very, very, very vividly. He said to everyone, first of all, because he was really kind to me, he turned to me and he s the whole congregation says, Carol sitting over there has beautiful eyes. That really ministered to me. I felt very happy about that. I was like, he could have stopped right there. But then he said this, imagine, imagine if you arrived at church one day, instead of Carol there, just one of her eyes was sitting on the <laughs> seat. No matter how beautiful her eyes are in her body, her eye out of her body is a gruesome and ugly thing. It's the, it's the stuff of horror movies. It's, you know, I'm just thinking of my young sons, you know, you know, when you got those sweets that look like eyeballs, and they would bring them to me, and I would scream, and it would be, uh, you know, but, but, but really, any body part, off the body, or out of the body, it's just a gruesome thing. The point of a body is that it's all together. The point of the body is that every part is receiving from another part. The point of the body is that, that it's whole and intact. And if a part's missing, there's a problem. Go get that body part and put it back. If you can. I don't know. Get a, get a great surgeon. But that, you know, I feel like the, the Bible makes this point again and again and again. That the church of the living God is a collection of people. It's not individuals doing their own thing, running after their own mission and their own purpose all on their own. It's us together doing something great. And it is this aspect of the church that makes it invincible, unstoppable. It's this characteristic of the church. When you wake up one morning and you don't feel like facing that world one more time, and you send a WhatsApp to your friend from the church, and she or he gets back to you and says, you were born for this. Today, God has victories for you. Don't give up now. They send you an encouraging scripture with a little kitten hanging on a tree. I just, you know, I know. I know what those WhatsApp pictures are like. They send you some encouraging thing. And immediately, you're in the body. You're in the church. It's the church in action. It's the church taking dominion. And you get out of bed and you head out into the world and you do it again. And you do it again, knowing that whether you succeed or fail, you have a family, a church family that loves you. That you're going to come back and you're going to say in Connect Group, you know, that, you know I said I was believing for this at work. Well, I tried and it just didn't work. And they're going to say, you're amazing. Well done for trying. We think you're awesome. You're incredible. Let's give it one more bash. Or you come back and say it works, and they're going to be high-fiving you. They're going to be telling you how incredible you are. They're going to tell you God is with you because the church is a gathering. It's all of us together accomplishing something. The next thing that Ecclesians means, and this is the literal meaning of it, is that it means the called out ones. Ek means out, believe it or not, and Kaleo means to call. It's the called out ones. There's a little Greek for you. As my husband would say, I know a little Greek. He speaks to me regularly. <laughs> but it's the called out ones. This is a fascinating concept because that word originated. The Jewish population adopted it 
from a Greek concept. And this Greek concept was this, that in the city-states of Greece, they were the first democracies in history. And the way they governed themselves was this, that every few years or so, they would go and they, they would sort of vote, sort of vote for a new set of governors. And then they would go and they would put a particular kind of stone at that person's door to say, you're chosen, you're a called out one, we're calling you up to come and govern. And that person had then, basically you had no way of refusing that call, but you, you came and you were part of the governing council of that city for a number of years. And you were called, the called out ones, the ecclesia that would meet weekly to govern the city. You know, when Jesus said, I will build my church, he was fishing deep into the concepts and the hearts of the people there. When he said, I will build my church, these are the pictures that are coming to mind. They, a gathering is coming to mind, but also a governing body is coming to mind. A, an institution that influences all of life. An institution that enforces the values of the community. Right. An institution that is like salt and light within the community that, that infiltrates and brings the values of their, of their institution into that place. And so when Jesus said, I will build my church, what he was saying, he was saying so much more than we'll just gather together and sing nice songs. It was more than we will just encourage one another and keep one another going, although that is a very big part of it. It was also that you will stand together and you will walk out into the world and you will tell the world how to live. You will walk out into the world and you will call institutions to account to the word of God. That you will be a prophetic voice in the nation that you'll be a prophetic voice in your family. Not too long ago, in my family, a family WhatsApp group, and someone on the group is sending pictures. I have to qualify that. I was going to say inappropriate pictures, but your minds are going to go, go everywhere. They were inappropriate pictures, but they were inappropriate and they were making jokes about a particular kind of people in an inappropriate way. And, you know, I had to call that person out. I had to, I had to stand there and say, I don't want to be in a group that gets pictures like this. Yeah, it's not my immediate family. Sorry, Andrew's very quick to say. It wasn't Andrew. It wasn't Andrew, nor was it my children. <laughs> nor was it their spouses. But I, but I had to stand and be the church. I had to stand and be the voice of God in that place and say, that's, that's not going to build a whole society. That's not going to bring the will and way of God into our environments. That's not going to promote the kind of peace and unity and love and, and godliness in our environment that we are longing for. Please don't send those pictures anymore. We've had moderate success, but I'm sticking to my guns. But that's a very small part of what we are called to do. And, and because we get to do it together, 
you know why I was so brave to stand up to this person? Because I knew whether that person accepted me or rejected me, I had you. Really, I mean, you, you, but in my mind, I knew. Every single one of you would agree with me. I knew that I had this family that was undergirding me, keeping me, that, that I would always have friends. The church is the relationally connected followers of Jesus who establish God's kingdom on earth through their, through their proclamation, work, worship, and lifestyle. This is who we are. I want to just conclude with one point. Behaving versus belonging. I have, on so many occasions, I know every single pastor in this church is going to agree with me, sat with people who have, you know, you know how people have problems on their problems. You know, it's just you start speaking a solution to one problem and they tell you why that won't work because of the other 10 problems. Invariably, invariably, with maybe only a few very small exceptions, every one of those people, when I, when I challenge them about their, their church habits, about their relational habits, about their devotional habits, invariably, every one of those is not connected in, significant, in a significant relational way within the church. Yeah. Every, every one of the pastors are agreeing with me. Yeah. Amen. Can we all say a loud amen? amen. And I cannot speak this loud enough. Is I have now this refrain. I cannot help you until you're in a connect group. I cannot help you until you come to church regularly. I cannot help you until you are grounded into the life of the church, until you are serving alongside your brothers and sisters, until you are, you are positioning all of your life under the lordship of Jesus Christ, where, where you're tithing first instead of going on holiday first. You know, where, where, your, where your lifestyle is grounded and rooted in the body of Christ. Yeah. Where instead of just behaving well, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't sleep around. Well, sometimes that's not even true. But I, ha I have a superficial set of behaviors that make me look like a good person. Until we can step past that and we can say, I belong here. I've put my roots down. I've made a place for myself. I've dug, dug deep into relationships. I've, I've worked hard at overcoming my shyness or my reticence or my difficulties in relating. I've worked, I've worked hard at, at making good, godly relationships. I've stepped past the difficulty of the difficult people. I've, I've served when it, when it wasn't convenient. I've given when it wasn't convenient. I made this place my home. Until you can say that, I want to propose that those difficulties are not going to go away because part of the life of who you're meant to be is in that connection. Yeah. In that connection. Part of who you're meant to be is that you're meant to be like a tree rooted into the environment. Yeah. Rooted into the environment. 
And that's what's going to bring a life to you. God is not asking you to behave well. He's asking you to belong well. To belong well. Yeah, then you behave well. You can also behave well. <laughs> you are chosen. Actually, I am going to go back to that scripture. I thought maybe because I didn't have enough time, I would skip it. But I'll just read it to you. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree, Psalm 92. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, the tallest trees in that environment, the strongest, most vibrant, most useful trees in that environment, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. There's something about putting your roots down deep, taking responsibility, being a part that makes for fruitful living yeah. for a long time. Yeah. For a long time. Amen. In conclusion, you are chosen to be the church of the living God. Gather, govern, proclaim, and produce. Be grounded. Yeah. Belong. Amen.